2: Hello and welcome to Secure the Insecure, the podcast where I say it's okay to not be okay. I'm Johnny Seaford and every week I'm joined by one very special guest. welcome to secure the insecure thank you for joining me thank you for being part of the family if you've been on instagram secure the insecure podcast is where you find us that is where i'm putting teasers up of all the old episodes and a nice inspirational quote each week and i love it and i love that you're being inspired by it it's so important we say it's okay to not be okay but it's also so important especially during lockdown to work on yourselves and have that self-gratitude and that self-belief in yourself i've put quotes up this week including before you stop remember why you started don't trade your authenticity for approval i heard you are focusing on yourself today and not worrying about anyone else and it is so important to not worry about anyone else and work on you as i keep preaching meditate it is so good to just breathe in and out breathe in those positive thoughts and release those negative thoughts it's so important that you do a gratitude diary five things every day you're grateful for. And find those five things. Honestly, you'll find that positivity and you'll want to work for it. And thirdly, go on the same walk every day and find something new. For example, today there was a traffic cone on the exact same road I've walked on twice a day, every single day this week, and there was a traffic cone there for the first time. It just realigns and helps you realise how important it is to be in this world and how important you are to this world. The world is a scary place at the moment, but as long as you are okay, that's all that matters. Now let's talk about this week's guest. My guest this week you will know as Maya Stepney in Emmerdale. We've done a lot of showbiz chats recently. I saw her on a programme this week and I had to speak to her. I was watching my friend Rob Brinder's documentary My Family, The Holocaust and Me. It's on the iPlayer for you to catch up on and it tells the story of Rob going to find out about the Holocaust along with other people going to find their own stories. Now before we talk to my guest Louisa Klein I want to tell you a bit about what I know about the Holocaust. I have been to Amsterdam a couple of times to the Anne Frank Museum I went to a Jewish primary and secondary school where we were taught about the Holocaust, the kinder transport, Kristallnacht, all the way through. I went to Poland twice, with my synagogue and with my university. And I did the whole tour of Poland. We went to Auschwitz, we went to Treblinka, we went to Majdanek, we went to Amont at the Plashov Butcher's House. I've interviewed many survivors. And I made a documentary about it. It won a couple of Radio Award nominations. It's called The Holocaust and Me. You can see it on YouTube. But I never really understood the Holocaust. I never had family that was part of it. Yes, I've interviewed survivors, but it was more like I'm making a documentary. And it was only until I read my friend Heather Morris's book, The Tattooist of Auschwitz, that I really started to understand what happened in Auschwitz in that time. Louisa joins me, who went to find out her own Holocaust journey to find out about her great aunt Elle's... Hello, Louisa.
1: Hello, Jenny.
2: Your story... And just you being on Rob's documentary, My Family, the Holocaust and Me, was so inspiring and powerful. How did you find doing it?
1: Oh, thank you. Um, It was an extraordinary experience. It was a true gift, I feel, that we were given this opportunity to go and discover more about our mum and our grandma and grandfather and great-aunt. It was... A sort of shadow in our whole childhood in our whole family that we that we've never really spoken about that was just known and it was a sort of situation where the opportunity came up for us to be involved in the program and i think my mum who never has spoken about her childhood and her stories um we we sort of begged her in a way to to get involved because we wanted these stories to be told. We wanted our children to know about them and we wanted the stories never to be forgotten because as time goes by, the survivors dwindle and there are stories that get forgotten. And we always knew that we had this sort of dark, terribly sad tragedy of our great aunt, but we knew nothing No details, really, and we had very few photos. We really knew nothing about my grandparents' involvement during the war, and we knew very little about mum, what had happened to our mum. So suddenly being given this this chance to go on this journey and have the top-top experts in their field come and talk to us and show us documents and photographs and information, and actually subsequently since the programme has been out, we... I've had messages from people who either have had similar experiences that their parents were in the same concentration camp at the same time. By and have stories. I've had a, a an email from somebody who says that their mother wrote down her memories. Her mother's no longer alive, but in those memories, the documentation is mention of my. And so you know, it connects stories and it connects people. It connects the next generation.
2: That's amazing that people have actually connected it to you. And it really brings it alive that they were all in this together.
1: And that these, it, one thing that really struck me on this journey was we, there there was quite a lot of it that ended up not being shown in the final edit. Um, my sister and I went on a far longer journey. We, we went to places where our mum was hidden. We went to where my grandfather was hidden. Um, and at the beginning we you know we learned about my mum who had been given away to a different family, and how this family had saved her life, and subsequently the reason why my sister and I are alive. We then heard we then went to meet a man who had saved my grandfather's life by providing hiding places and fake documents and Then when we had grandmother's story about how she had become part of the resistance and had helped other people. I suddenly started thinking, I wonder if there are descendants of these American soldiers that my grandmother helped who are now alive because of my grandmother. Because I feel very passionately that I'm only alive because of the kindness and bravery of other people. And suddenly, you know, it does. It opens the world up to you. To, to You know, I, I suddenly feel like I've got so much more to research. I've got so much more to discover i think the more that you start finding out information just the more you want to find out isn't
2: it it's really interesting you say that and it's almost given you this new lease of life this new role yes you are an amazing actress and you've had some amazing storylines on emmerdale for example and holby city before that but this is your real life this is you finding about your story and also as you said at the top educating other people so that the holocaust does not happen again
1: exactly you know it's it's funny because we grew up in a world where certainly a lot of people you know we were talking about earlier you know sort of slightly insular jewish world of a, a jewish community not insular community that we stick together and for us it's very much part of our narrative of our history i've been so lucky in my career where i've worked all over the place with all different types of people and people from all different walks of life. Some people who who've never encountered Jewish people before. People who who sort of turn around. I remember one gorgeous girl saying to me, "Oh, I've never met a Jew before." And I sort of looked at him. I said, "Yeah, you have." And she looked at me and she went, "Are you a Jew?" And, um, <laughs> and it was. She didn't mean it t- in any way derogatory. It w- it was entirely like, "Wow, I didn't know." Like. That that's what Jews looked like, or whatever. I don't. I, I, it was, I, I, and and as well, you know, I've had messages of going, "Gosh, why has it taken me fifty years to realise this is what the Holocaust was about?" And you know, so the programme, I think, was an extraordinary programme, to an accessible pro, pro, programme for people that maybe don't know as much as as others. I don't come from that world. I didn't grow up. I didn't go to Jewish school. I had no Jewish education growing up, and that was entirely the choice of my mother, really, um, who was adamant that she didn't want us to feel different. So we, the the most Jewish thing about me was my very curly hair that was different to everybody else's in my class. And so I, I moved to London, and I fell in love with a jewish boy and suddenly i was i was in this jewish world but slightly on the outside and slightly not knowing what those traditions were or what those what what it meant to be part of that jewish community and you know as i've as i've grown up and now with my children i think it's a wonderful thing and they for my husband and for my kids being jewish is is a huge part of their life but it's not defining Whereas for me, it was always something, I suppose it was always, I knew what I wasn't, I just never really knew what
2: I was. It's very interesting you say that. When I went to university, I went to Birmingham, and yeah, my first year, I thought, great, I've been at Jewish schools all the way through, I'm at last away from having to be in the bubble, I'm at Birmingham City, so I'm not, Mm. I'm in Birmingham, but I'm not in the bubble still, I'm kind of away from it. And I thought, mm. this is brilliant. I've got this freedom. I, ha- I can get non-kosher meat for the first time. Amazing. <laughs> and it took about, oh, I'd say a week. And I went, this isn't me. This is yeah. alien to me. They don't, uh, the people I was living with didn't understand me. I didn't understand them. And there was a big culture shock there. How did you find yeah. growing up in Dorset?
1: We had no Jewish community in Dorset. There were a few other Jewish kids that we'd known from primary school. As I say, my mum was quite adamant that she didn't want us... To feel different we would come up to London for Pesach every year to family and we would have apple and honey for Rosh Hashanah but that was literally all we did to this day my husband always laughs at me um I'm obsessed with Passover it's my favorite <laughs> one I love it so much because it has memories of a childhood for me it has memories of coming up to London and seeing family and wearing our pajamas in the car on the way home and looking for the Yafi and you know all of this and it has such happy happy memories so every year you know I'm desperate to host a big Seder night in our house and give those memories, pass those memories on to my children.
2: So then you bring up three children and you use your background as to what you were taught about Judaism. What do you want to do for them? How do you want to bring them up in the Jewish world?
1: Um, That's a really good question. I want them to have all the knowledge so that they can choose. I I think, you know, for me, being Jewish has always been so much about the culture, about the history and the heritage. The religious side of things for me is I'm far more ignorant on, shall we say. Um, my kids, we take the kids to synagogue, they go to Hader. My in-laws, again, have a far more traditional Jewish household, so they we do far more festivals with them they are much more knowledgeable and have a much stronger Jewish identity than I certainly did at their age. I just want them to to have, as I say, to have the knowledge so that they can choose. They know they're Jewish and they know that their parents and their grandparents have a love of being Jewish. We take them to Israel um, as often as we can and they love Israel. They've, you know, so it's it's important for them i think it really is
2: flippant question and a serious question the flippant one being have you taken them to the best restaurant in the world old man and the sea in tel aviv and how would you feel if they were to marry out of the jewish religion
1: so old man and the sea is that in the port yeah yeah yes we have taken them there um we have also taken them to I I would disagree with you as the best restaurant because we've taken them to Hakosem, which is I think the best falafel in Tel Aviv, which they loved and I mean they've been many, many times to Israel now and, and had a they've loved it every time and eat all the time so they're very happy there. <laughs> <laughs> they can probably speak more Hebrew than I can now as well. How would I feel if they married out? If they married out to a love. I'd much rather they Married someone who made them happy and made them laugh, who wasn't Jewish and some nebuch who was um, i i i d- you know it the 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 Jewish tradition as I say their jewish life is is right now listen they're little, so there's a long time um before they get married. I hope I'd be open minded enough not to not to mind if i'm honest well, as we- long as they're happy
2: you bring up a very interesting point about happiness and what is the jewish religion and it's a conversation slash game me and my friends play quite a lot about Mm. why we do things but we don't know why and it doesn't make sense Mm. so for example um i'll start with you know rosh hashanah is two days here one day in israel or you have to buy Mm. kosher meat which costs an absolute fortune just because Mm. someone said a blessing on it. it it doesn't make sense and it doesn't add up to okay this is why we're doing it you know we're spending all this money on kosher meat but that doesn't necessarily bring you anything and yeah that's there's sometimes that line that i think a lot of us again stereotypically are you know traditional love the jewish community mm. love what it means but the actual religious side and the Judaism side is gone.
1: I do fast on Yom Kippur and I like it because it because I never was forced to do it. It was a choice of mine. And I like what I like kind of the way it makes me feel and makes me think. But I do it because it's my choice too. I think that's what I mean when I say with the kids I want to give them the knowledge so that they can make the decisions themselves.
2: And I think that's the interesting thing when you go to a Jewish school and oh the only thing you know is jewish judaism jewish history you've got so much ignorance about the world around you and you've got so much ignorance about any other religion i never learned about another religion and the excuse was well we don't know enough to be able to teach it to you from the teachers but Mm. how is that that you can then go out in the world and appreciate other religions if you're not taught about them
1: yeah you see that's 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 not good enough (laughs) i i wouldn't yeah, I think that that one has to educate oneself, and and then you know you again it goes back to it goes back to knowledge, doesn't it? And it goes back to talking about the Holocaust and and this this documentary of of giving people the knowledge of what happened, and therefore teaching them. You know, knowledge is is, is understanding is is humanity.
2: A hundred percent. So when you went to Amsterdam and you were going on this yeah. journey I want to call it mm. how were yeah. you emotionally because when I've done these trips before <laughs> you get these and I've always done it in massive groups so you get these massive mm. waves of happiness and mm. being silly and you know flirting with the girls on the trip and then you get the mm. sadness at the camp and then you go back on the coach again and you're singing all these happy songs again but for you doing it in a t- with a tv crew with your sister be- yeah. you know you've had two parts of that journey together with you
1: it was i mean it became a bit of a joke i just cried the whole time and it became a joke that like, oh god she's crying again I, and and the incredible director of the of the program you know had to cut round crying because it was just like oh for god's sake she's crying again i found it intensely and I'm a very kind of visual person, I think I found it. There was places where we went where I thought, this is the same view, this is the same view my grandpa saw from his tiny little hiding room, same trees. The trees might be a bit bigger now, but it's the same trees, and and I found that so emotional. It was the, we went to a house, again, this wasn't shown in the program, but we went to a house that um, had been built by my grandfather who was an architect and designer, as a thank you to this man who had saved his life. And we're standing in this house that my grandfather had built with the furniture he designed, talking to the man that had saved his life. And it was so it was the closest I'd ever felt to my grandfather. My grandfather died when I was quite young and he didn't really speak much English. So even though we spent time with him, there was no close relationship, although I loved him. So it it was immensely emotional and Powerful. And and funny enough, you know, the final day when we were in this concentration camp and we filmed this desperately painful ending to our great aunt's story, we then had to say goodbye to the, the crew because some of the crew were Dutch. And but one of the cameramen, who was a Dutch cameraman who'd filmed lots of these things, burst into tears and sort of saying goodbye to us. And he sort of said, I've been on this journey with you. And and I know that the director, David, he he kind of fell in love with my grandma and my great aunt as much as we did and suddenly you know when when we hear what happens at the end even though me and that reaction that they filmed everyone kind of took a deep breath and everyone was there with us so it was you know we were that we were the faces on the screen but a lot more than just us went through that whole experience
2: Well, there was the most amazing scene in the first episode where you meet a gentleman whose grandfather knew your great aunt else. And when we're talking about when she was a famous dancer and that he had danced with and I thought, okay, it's TV. So obviously they've managed to, you know, find someone. They've got lots of researchers. But the power of that, of just that connection, you're standing with someone and he's talking to you and suddenly he tells you that and... That picture from the newspaper just came... And I cried. I'll be honest with you, I cried.
1: You know, he had this whole album of photographs and documents about our great-aunt. And he was leafing through them, and he was going through it all with us. And then suddenly he said, well, that is my father, and this is your great-aunt. And my father was in love with your great-aunt. And there was this extraordinary moment where suddenly you kind of joined the dots, and you thought, well, if my great-aunt had survived, this man wouldn't be alive because his mother married his father after my great-aunt died. So it was a sort of slightly, you know, it, it was sort of circumstances that had brought us all into this room together, but had things been different 100 years ago, not quite 100 years ago, 80, 75 years ago, you know the, how, how this wouldn't be here right now um and he had all these photographs and stories and again something that wasn't wasn't in the final edit was the piece of music that had been composed especially for her but had never ever been played and um they played it for us so the first time, and there's something about music, there's something, you know, my sister as a musician, my great aunt as a dancer, suddenly hearing this music that had been written out of true love for her was being played by a pianist, and we were hearing it. It, it, it was extraordinary. I mean, I sobbed, absolutely
2: sobbed. <laughs> Louisa, what does your great aunt else mean to you now that you've discovered a bit more of her journey into the world?
0: Oh,
1: that's such a lovely question. She means so much because she she died when she was my age, which I again, I found extremely emotional and very poignant. She um she was only ever known in one sentence that she had died. And now we have her life and that means so much to give her give her a life, give her a personality. And I, and and I feel Both Natty and I have talked about this so much since the program that, you know, both her and my grandmother, they were so strong. They were such fighters. There's so often this feeling about the Holocaust that everyone was a victim. And of course, the end is tragic. And whether, you know, for my great aunt who who died, and for my grandma, who, even though she survived, it destroyed her life. It totally destroyed her life. Um... They weren't victims, as such. They they were these incredible fighters, and I think I feel very passionately that my great aunt Else, who didn't have children, had that at the end of the line stopped with her. That that you know, both Natty and I are, are, are creative. Both Natty and I uh, are artists, and that side of the family, they were all artists, and I I I, I feel honoured. To have sort of that mantle of her now. There's more to be done with her. I feel like there's still so much more of this story to be told and I'm just trying to work out how to do it.
2: Talking of fighting, Louisa, how are you going to keep Mm. fighting? What are you going to do next? Now you've got this knowledge, now you've got Mm. the power of being a celebrity in the media, but with your Jewish background, what do you want Mm. to do next to keep continuing this education about the Holocaust? So
1: I feel, you know, I feel like I spent a lot of my childhood and a lot of my early grown-up years slightly whispering that I was Jewish. And you'd sort of go, oh, yeah, you know, they'd say, Klein, that's interesting, where's that from? And you'd go, oh, my, you know, Eastern Europe or something. And, then, oh, interesting, that's not usual way of spelling it, it doesn't sound German. And, you know, and always kind of slightly hiding it. And I think as I've got older, I'm, pr- I'm so proud to be Jewish. I'm so proud of... Of where I've come from, and I don't look particularly Jewish, you know, blonde hair and blue eyes. I I, I can pass as not Jewish, so people are often surprised when they find out I am Jewish. Um, I think that you know, I suddenly being given this profile as such from from working on a on a job that is extremely popular. You do get obviously a, a more public profile. I I don't want to pretend to be anything I'm not and I do talk about being Jewish and I don't hide that I talk about going to Israel because I'm a very staunch Zionist um, I I talk about the charities that I support like the Holocaust Educational Trust um, which I think is an extraordinary charity that brings survivors into schools and keeps their stories alive and I think that you know our... our Tracy Ann is a good friend of mine and has been for many, many years. And I hugely admire her for, for and her bravery for, for sort of standing up and talking out. And I hope, you know, that I can do something similar, I suppose.
2: Well, your journey starts today, Louisa. Speaking on this podcast, opening, I can't thank you enough for being so candid oh, and think. giving me your time. I really, thank really, you really for appreciate it. Me
1: to do it, no, it's a real pleasure. It's really lovely to talk to you.
2: Louisa Klein on Secure the Insecure. Thank you so much for listening. If you've liked what you've heard, please do rate the podcast, like the podcast, and share the podcast. It is so important we say it's okay to not be okay. Louisa's episode of My Family, The Holocaust and Me is available on the iPlayer now. I urge you to watch it. When I watched it, I felt numb. I didn't know what to do afterwards. And I just want to put that warning out there, because normally you watch a program and you go on to the next program, and you're binging whatever you're watching. Or you get up and you do the dishes. I didn't know what to do. I just sat there and cried. And I texted Rob and I messaged Louisa. And I just wanted to be close to them. Because I I felt immersed in their story. And I didn't know what to do. So please, my family, the Holocaust and me on the iPlayer, please do watch it. It is such an important watch. And remember, the Holocaust should never happen again. I've been Johnny Seafoot. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Security the Insecure. Don't forget we're on Instagram, Security and Secure Insecure podcast is where you can find us. Until next time, thank you and goodbye.